Good morning. How y'all doing? It's good to be here together, worship with you and being in the presence of God. I'm Greg Boyd, a teaching pastor here. I um, want to first start by giving a shout out, thank you to Shauna, who did a great job last week, didn't she? I appreciate her preaching. Uh, we had a great family vacation, got away. We do this once a year, uh, family and kids and grandkids get together, and so it's just a great time. Uh, hello to all you visitors. People are visiting. We want to give a special hello to you, and I want to say hi to all the podcasters. God, we love you guys, and all the regulars, and all the irregulars. We, we, we're glad you're all here. And if you're irregular, I recommend some fiber and probiotics, and it uh, can help you out there. So here's the thing. This will be hard to believe, but uh, when I was younger, uh, I was an airhead, space cadet, uh, Teenage years, I was a complete idiot. Drove my dad crazy because I forgot everything. I lost everything. I was just out of it. And it was really bad, you know, when I was 13, 14 on pot. But he got even worse when I discovered books. <laughs> and I got off that stuff. Uh, starting with 15, 16, 17, man, I, I, my head was always in the clouds. So I'm thinking about ideas. So I'm forgetting everything, losing everything. You know, it's just, and my dad had a real short fuse. And so he was mad at me a lot. That's just how it went. Now, at this point, I'm living alone in the house with him. The rest of the family has moved out and stuff, so uh, we were the odd couple, and he was always mad. So uh, this is, uh, I'm a senior in high school, and um, I'm dating this girl who's a year older than me, a real cute girl, and she's going to St. Cloud State. Uh, and I want to visit her this one weekend. It's a weekend where we've been in this frigid cold. Now, this is cold defined by 70s, not the sissy kind of cold that we have today because of global warming. You know, we, we whine when it gets below freezing. But back in the 70s, it was cold. How many of you were in Minnesota in the 70s? Yeah, that's when maybe in Minnesota meant something. It gave you bragging rights, okay? It was cold. We go weeks on end without it getting above zero, and we liked it that way, all right? I'm talking cold. It's so cold. You could be driving around. Sometimes you see these dogs frozen to fire hydrants with their legs lifted. That's how cold it was. It was so cold. We go talking to politicians just to hear, feel their hot air, you know? Or, or, oh, yeah. It was so cold. Yeah, you could preach on fire and brimstone and people thought you were talking about heaven. Okay, so it was cold. I'll, I'll shut up. I'll shut up. But we were in one of those really free. Back then, we were talking about global cooling. Do you remember that? They were, they were talking about the world's going to get colder and colder. And now there's good evidence that it's going the opposite direction. And our real estate's going up. But uh, so we're in one of those really cold spots. And I want to go visit this, this girl. My dad says to me, okay, listen, remember one thing. That's all I have. One thing. Don't let your gas tank get below a quarter full because it's going to freeze on you. And that causes all sorts of problems. And I'm like, duh, dad, I know that. Still, <laughs> you think I'm stupid or something? <laughs> So uh, I, I uh, drive up there on this frigid 20 below Friday. I'm going to spend Friday night and Saturday night up in, at St. Cloud. I'm a new Christian, and so we sleep in separate rooms. Don't worry. It was all kosher. <laughs> Some of you are judging me. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm up there, and um, have a good time. Then on Sunday morning, I get in my car, which is, by the way, I, car, a Chevy stick shift that I bought for 150 bucks. It was literally duct taped together. Parts of it, you know what? So it was a jalopy. But uh, I go and start my car and it won't start. How shocking. And the reason is because I forgot to fill it up with gas. And it's really, really low and the thing's frozen on me. And this is before, you know, kids carried credit cards and, and I don't have much money on me and I don't have any means of transportation. So I have to call my dad down here in Cottage Grove to come up and rescue me up in St. Cloud. He, I had to hold the phone away from me like this because he was like... 
And my dad, as I've shared with you before, was the world's greatest, creative, most creative cursor. He could put together an entire paragraph of completely vile words except for the word and and the. And it, was just, it would just come out of it. And the phrases were ingenious. He was a mastermind at this swearing. And he just like let out one of those vile paragraphs. I'm like this. He was so mad. But he drives up fuming mad. Brings up one of these little, uh, some liquid you pour in the gas tank to unfreeze it or something. I don't know what it is. Uh, and then and he has a, gas, a gallon of gas he puts in there so I can get to the gas station and get some more gas. All the while, I can see swearing under his breath because, you know, you can see the, his, the vapor. And, but he's not talking to me. He just gets out and he's just doing it. He's so mad. So then he says, okay, start the car. So I get in the car. And I swear I, had, I put the keys in the ignition. Uh, I, they were, I left them in there intentionally, but now they're gone. So I check my pockets and they're not there. And it snowed the night before. We assumed I must have dropped them someplace in the snow, which is entirely possible because I was wearing gloves, but they weren't at all equipped to handle 20 below weather, so I can't feel my fingers, so I don't know if I'm holding anything or not. And so now we've got to look around in the snow, and my dad lets out another paragraph. He's just longer and louder. He's so mad. It's so cold. And now we're looking for these stupid, stupid keys. I finally check again in the car, and it turns out they slid into the seat. So I find the keys. I go, I start, after several attempts, the car finally, remember, and it starts. I'm like, thank you, Jesus, the nightmare can end. But it wasn't quite over yet. Because we drive to the gas station, and I get gas, and then we drive to a restaurant. Dad wants to get something to eat. And so we, and he says, leave the car running, because if you shut that piece of junk off, it might not start again. So I leave the car running. So we go in the restaurant. He's still not talking to me, but... His, his, his breathing is slowed down a little bit, and his, the redness is kind of going from his face. So this is going in the right direction. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, and we, we can start to feel our, our fingers again, start to feel our toes again. Uh, and, and we're just looking forward to this nice warm meal. At one point, though, he, he breaks the silence and he says, uh, so you left the car running, right? I go, yep, good boy. I, I left it running, just like you asked. So there's silence again. And then a moment later, he asks another random question. Did you lock your car? I go, yep, yeah, I locked it. Uh, don't, don't want anyone stealing that car of mine, 150 bucks, you know, no way. I locked it, good boy. He goes, you locked your car. I go, yeah, yeah, you always told me you locked your car. He goes, but not when the keys are on the inside, the car's running, what's wrong with you? How do you plan on getting in that bleepity bleepity car of yours with the keys on the inside and it's running? I'm like, oh, I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that. He goes, do you know what it costs to get a blacksmith to come out here on a Sunday morning? And then I thought, oh, I got to oh, I can introduce a little good news here. He goes, don't worry, Dad. Uh, don't worry about that. I, I, I'm really good at breaking into cars. <laughs> <laughs> You're what? <laughs> oh, he, I knew he wanted to let out an even longer paragraph of his, but we're in a restaurant, so he can't. So he has to keep it all bottled up. And so his face is like quivering, and it, it looks like this, this blood boiler zit that's ready to pop. If I had a pin, I could just poke his nose and we'd have facial matter over the whole restaurant. He's so mad. So we decided it's better for me to break in the car than to call a blacksmith and get $120, whatever it's going to cost. But I need a coat hanger. That's how you do it. You know, you have to make those little hooks and you got to go in there and find. So we go looking for a coat hanger. Finally, the third hotel we find. All the while, he's just spewing vile. Uh, we, 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 we were able to borrow or get a, a coat hanger. So go back to the restaurant parking lot. 
And I start to try to break in the car, which usually takes me 30 seconds, but I, I'm having trouble because it, it requires a lot of sensitivity. You've got to kind of feel when you're hitting the right things. And I can't feel my fingers again. It's numb. And the longer I take, the madder he gets, and the more nervous I get, so the more mistakes I make, and I was just going in the wrong direction. Until finally a cop shows up and says, step away from the car. Turns out someone in the restaurant called the police because these two hooligans are trying to break into a car in the parking lot. And the officer gets out and says, okay, you say you're the driver of the car, show me your license. I said, oh, I can't, officer, because my wallet's in the car and the car's locked. And then my dad says, officer, can I borrow your gun just for a moment to shoot my son in his brainless head? <laughs> the kind of morning you could write a country western song. Now, what's that got to do with anything? Nothing. I just thought I'd share that with you. Was that a... Okay, here's the thing. See, that was a miserable, miserable, miserable morning. A truly terrible morning. But when I told the story about it, it wasn't miserable. I don't think you were miserable. I wasn't miserable. In fact, it was kind of funny. So why was a story that was really miserable and included nothing but misery funny when you retold it? And the answer is that the story becomes funny because I'm not telling it from the perspective that I had at the time that it happened. I'm telling it from a different perspective. 43 years later, 44 years later, as I look back on this, it's funny. At the time, it was not at all funny. When you're 17 and your dad's this mad at you and you think he could kill you, it's serious stuff. I'm in big trouble. But later on, I zoom out, I have a much bigger perspective on things. And that's kind of a small little incident and how... The, the degree to it, how, how stupid I was compared, and, and how, how, how short dad's fuse was, the whole thing is funny. It's just funny. Now, the Greeks have a word for this. Retelling a story in a way that reframes things and changes its meaning. Anakephaleo. Anakephaleo. Everyone say anakephaleo. If you memorize this, you'll never lose in Scrabble. Uh, this is a Greek word. Uh, it's used in one passage, but it's an important passage. Ephesians chapter 1. Here's what it says. Uh, with all wisdom, Paul says, with all wisdom and insight, God has made known to us the mystery of his will. It was a mystery, but now we know it. And his will is according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. When everything wraps up, this is what's going to happen. To gather all things, to gather up all things in him, anakephaleo, things in heaven and things on earth. To gather up all things, anakephaleo. It means, in the middle of that word is the, the word head, kephale. And, and anakephaleo, it means to like gather in or tuck into one head, or to bring under one head, to sum up under one head, or one's theme, or one source. Uh, it, it, to recapitulate something, or retell something, in a way that shows that Christ is head. And so what Paul is saying here, and it's a marvelous, marvelous vision of what's going on here in world history, and how it's going to culminate, I love this, is that in the end... Uh, he is going to gather up, bring together, weave together in a beautiful tapestry everything in heaven and on earth and, and, and under the headship of Christ. In other words, in the light of what God has accomplished in Christ, and especially Christ on the cross. He's made a whole new creation, Paul says. Oh, behold, all things are new. And when he says all things are new, he's not just talking about the present. He's talking about all things from the beginning of time. It's all new. The story is being retold from a different perspective, a new perspective that changes the meaning of everything and shows how Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, it shows how Christ is victorious. Uh, God is retelling the story. I mean, can you just imagine this perspective? He, he's not saying it's all going to be funny, okay? Like that the Holocaust will ever be a joke. No, it, those kind of things will never be funny. But just as my adult perspective gave me a, a, a vantage point whereby I, what was miserable becomes funny, and the worst parts were actually the best. So also, 
God is in the end going to have this perspective in Christ, in light of what he's accomplished in Christ, where we'll be able to see that he has brought all things together, harmonized all things, healed all things, woven together all things, used all things to put on display his glorious wisdom and his marvelous power and his incredible, unfathomable love. Can you imagine a perspective like that? Where everything the enemy intended for evil, we now see God used for good. And everything that other people intended for evil, we can now see God used for good. And even everything that we ever intended for evil, we can now see that God used for good. Can you imagine a perspective where everything has been turned around? Uh, where everything has been used to the advantage of the kingdom. Where even the ugly and the, and the nightmare stuff is now somehow used to, to, to glorify God. And the, we look at the wounds and the only purpose for seeing the wounds is to see how God has healed us from those wounds. And the failures, how God has brought victory out of those failures. Can you imagine a perspective where the, the whole of history is told, but now the shame has been replaced with rejoicing, praise God. And the fear has been replaced with confidence, and the defeat has been replaced with victory, and the hate has been replaced with love, praise God. And the death has been replaced with life, praise God. And God's love defines every square inch of the cosmos. Hallelujah. Like Paul says, God will be all in all. He'll, his love will define everything, past, present, future. And, and, and we'll see how all of it, how his love has been victorious over all of it. And that's the eternal kingdom. Anakephaleo. He sums it all up, praise God. I don't know you, but I, I, I take a passage like that. And you know, however bad things are right now, zoom ahead and look at it from that perspective. Someday you'll see how small this is. Uh, you know, the, Paul says that the sufferings of the present age can't be compared to the glory that God has in store for those who love him. Uh, it's incomparable. Zoom ahead sometimes and just try to imagine that perspective where this, is, this, this pain you're in now, this, this suffering you're going through, is not even worth comparing to it with the glory that you'll have then. And somehow God will take all of this and turn it to his advantage. There'll be no regrets. There'll only be rejoicing, praise God. Now here's the thing. Uh, what does this mean for us today? Well, it means this. See, God, this is the purpose. It'll be culminated at the end of time. But God's already doing this. He's already doing this. This is his purpose now. He's driving towards that end. And that means even now, he's doing this on a kephale, okay? He he's, uh, wants to be working in our life, because we're part of everything, right? He's going to retell everything in a way that shows how Christ is Lord over it all, and how he uses everything to beautify you and further the kingdom. And our job then is to participate with God in that process. Right now, God is in the process of working to integrate us, to take everything we've ever been through, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and, and to bring it under the lordship of Christ. We, we, we said, saying earlier, Christ reigns over all things. Well, does he reign over our past? Does he reign over the events that we've, we, we, we've been through? Does he reign over the wounds? He wants to, right now, be invited into everything in our past, Maybe this is something we'd rather forget and run away from, but he wants to be invited into that to begin to retell the story, to sum it up under his lordship, to bring healing where healing is needed, lessons where lessons are needed, to turn all that was against you to be in your favor and the favor of the kingdom. Right now, he wants to anakephale you and your past. Now, to kind of illustrate what this might look like, I'm going to turn to a movie clip, because this is, after all, a series on movies, the last one of a series. So we're going to watch a... Uh, Two scenes from the movie The Kid. Uh, this is, to set the story up, there's a guy named Russ who is a jerk, a total jerk. Uh, uh, he's, he's emotionally stunted. He never cries. Uh, he's he's an image designer because he's so into image. Um, he's self-centered, narcissistic, and all these other things. 
Uh, he runs into his younger self, himself as an eight-year-old boy. As an eight-year-old boy, Rusty, he was called, he's a chubby little kid who gets picked on a lot in school. He's got a dad who's very impatient, kind of perfectionistic. The dad's really stressed out and takes it out on the kid. Um, and so the, the scene we're going to watch, there's two scenes here. Well, the first one is where Russ and Rusty are just getting to know one another. Russ is just beginning to suspect that see, he's blocked out a lot of those memories he had as a kid because they're, they're, they're painful. He blocked them out. And he begins to suspect that maybe Rusty is here to help him get in touch with that again to bring some healing into his life. And so they're just kind of talking. But pay close attention because the detail is important for understanding the second scene we're going to watch. Where in this scene, uh, they go back into the past and the adult Russ is watching Rusty here. He was uh, at school. He, because he's getting picked on, he got into a fight. The school called home, and his mother had to come get him. But his mother had a terminal illness and, and wasn't supposed to leave the house. And so the mother comes and gets him, and then they go back home. And they arrive just around the same time that the father drives up. And so let's watch the, these two scenes. Yeah, it's touching. It's a tender scene. So Russ had been trying to run away from Rusty all of his life. Didn't want to go back there. It's too painful. But Rusty was always there. So there was a part of him that just got frozen on that day. That's why he hadn't cried since that day. That's um, why he was the way he was. The past, the, who you are in the present is, is influenced by, strongly influenced by the past. It's never really totally passed. And see, as long as he was running from that, blocking himself from that, he couldn't experience healing. He couldn't get over his emotional stuntedness. And you can see why he was the way he was. His, his, his emotional stuntedness was because he shut off his feeling valve around this time of his life. Given that his, his mom was dying, he thought it was his fault, his dad is after him, the kids at school play, uh, to pick on him. So he shuts that down. The reason he was so image conscious is because he, he saw being chubby as being something that's just going to get you picked on, so he, he just cancels that. And, and uh, he's now going to be the guy who's growing up. Got to grow up. You got to stuff everything else. Stuff the feelings. But who we are in the present is a reflection of who we, who we are in the past, or what we've been in the past, what we've been through in the past. And the only way to, be, to, to grow is to now get in touch with What's going on in the past? And to re-examine it. It's when he is able to embrace his old Rusty. Embrace the kid that he's begin to feel, he can begin to feel again. And the healing can be brought to this. And, and he knows that as an adult that, that he didn't kill his mom. But there's a part of him, that eight-year-old frozen self, that didn't know that and needed to be told that. Who we are in the present is, is a reflection of the past. We carry the past with us. And either we're integrated with it, embracing it, getting healing from it, or we're not. And that involves this anakephaleo that I'm talking about. Looking at things from a new perspective and bringing integration. Uh, this is kind of fresh for me. It's the importance of, of like integrating the past is, is, is fresh for me because last month I went on a road trip. Uh, I and my three siblings uh, decided that we're going to go visit all these different sites that, we, uh, that, that, that intersected with our childhood. Um, here they are. The, the, on the left is Debbie, my older sister. Can we get a picture of the... So there's my sister Debbie, and my brother's there to the right, and my little sister Anita is there. Chris, that's Chris and Anita. And the good-looking guy in the middle, that's me. Um, now we, were, we, we initially were going to take this trip because Debbie, my older sister, 
uh, well, a year ago, it didn't look like she was going to live much more than a year. She had cancer, and it was it spread, and it was really, really serious. And so we planned this road trip to kind of be a kind of a swan song, a, a, you know, a departing thing. The day before we leave on the road trip, uh, however, she gets a call from the Mayo Clinic, and she was totally cancer-free. So that was a praise God moment, total praise God moment. That was a combination of prayer and, and some, she was taking this real experimental therapy. She just, she was one of the first ones to take this new uh, kind of a way of treating this particular kind of cancer, and it worked better than doctors ever imagined. So uh, it, was, it, was, it was a praise God sort of thing. So this trip was a whole lot happier than we initially thought it was going to be. But we went to all these old sites. For example, we went to Norwalk, um, Ohio, where my, my mother's buried. And I, for the first time, got to see my mother's grave. I'd never been there before. Uh, this is Arlyle on the right, Arlyle Teresa Boyd. She died when she was uh, 33. I was two years old. And uh, um, there's something about, I don't have any memory of her, but just going to the grave, it, it, it just does, I don't know. It, it was just, it, it, was, it was a real poignant, powerful moment. And you, you know, wonder like how life would have been different if she hadn't died. Um, and then next to her is Leona, uh, Leona Anita O'Donnell, um, as her mother, and this is the lady that took care of us to a large degree once my mom died for a year or so. And she, I've told stories about her. Uh, she was the kind of cranky lady. I'm the hyperactive kid, and we don't get along very well together. This is the lady who said to me at, around Christmas that I don't get a Christmas present because I'm a bad boy, and bad boys don't get Christmas presents. But I've forgiven her, and I've been healed, so it's all okay. So it's everything copacetic, and I can say I love you, Grandma O'Donnell. But uh, it, it was just neat going there. And then uh, shortly after that, my dad got remarried because he was in a desperate situation. He had four kids and, and needed some, someone to care for them. And he met a lady who had two kids, and he, they, she needed a provider. So they get married. It was an unfortunate marriage in a lot of respects. But uh, uh, once they're married, we move to, uh, to Taylor, Michigan, right outside of Detroit. It's actually part of Detroit. And we live in this little house. So there's eight people in this uh, It's about a 900-square-foot house. I don't know how we did it. You look at those little bedrooms in there. They're so small. Uh, but uh, I don't remember it ever being crowded. It was just our normal. But I do, you know, there's a point where I could look out in the backyard and I, re- I have vague, vague memories of, of running around back there and I could, I could just re-enter that perspective. Well, you know, I'm, I'm doing it as this guy some 57, 56 years later. And it was just... Uh, it was, uh, these memories are there. They just need occasion to be triggered. And bam, they're vivid. And then we went to Grand Ledge, where we moved next, uh, at, just around Lansing, Michigan. And uh, I had so many fond memories there, some bad ones, but a lot of fond ones. And the best ones are out in the woods. I have often talked about the woods that surrounded our house. And the woods are still there. I was so happy to see this. The woods are still there. And um, uh, this is a, this creek that ran through the woods. And as a kid, I would really frequently just walk the edges of that creek, explore the creek. And, and as a kid, it seemed like the creek went on forever and ever. Now that I go back there 53 years later, uh, the whole woods is maybe just over a half a mile thick. But to a little kid, it's like forever. And, and this was my safe place. This is where I ran away when, when my stepmother would beat me. I, I would run here. It was my safe place. Um, and um, I often talk about this oval of light that I could find in the woods. Well, that's not there anymore. It's all grown over. But I, it was like going back to an old friend. It was just really a moving thing, and I had so many memories just get evoked as I went there. And then we went to Kent, uh, Ohio, where we lived for a while, and that's where I went to Catholic school. It's St. Patrick's School. You've heard me talk about that sometimes if you've been there for any length of time. And I have mainly bad memories of this place. Uh, it's no longer a school. It's, it's a vocational uh, training center. But uh, we, we were able to go on the inside and walk around, and it was just, again, all these memories just get triggered, and, and you can see it so vividly. Here's the classroom that I was at in second grade. 
Um, and this is where the nuns came up with the strategy of giving the goody two-shoe girls this thick family Bible, and they had unquestioned permission to hit me over the head if I was ever acting out because I was a problem kid and behavior kid, and so made things simple for them. And as I stood in the doorway, I, I could just envision me in the second row. I knew exactly where I sat. And, and uh, I, I would get hit over the head, and I would try to put on the smile, try to laugh it off, because the kids always laughed. It was always good for a good joke. But my neck would be burning, and I sometimes couldn't see the room coming into focus. It would kind of slowly come like this, which means my eyes would roll back, which shows you how hard they were hitting me with this thing. Um, but I, it was so vivid. And those memories, and, I, and I've, I've been healed from all that, and I've shared all, a lot of that. But it's just amazing how your past is, is in your presence. It's always there. It's stored. It just needs, on the right, on the right circumstances, it gets, it gets triggered. It gets evoked. Um, and then there was one point, I, I wish I would have taken a picture of this, but I, I, I got to the stairway that led up to Mother Superior's office. You've heard me talk about Mother Superior? Yeah, the tank lady who was Nazis. Is, ugh. So, so I, and, and that's where you go when you're in a lot of trouble, and I was always in a lot of trouble. And so I'm looking at these stairs going up to her office, and I, I actually walked up them, and I could just re-enter me as a six- and seven-year-old. And, and I got a little ways up the stairs, and then I noticed that I had my head tilted. I didn't, I just noticed I'm, I'm tilting my head. And then I, I remembered that they used to almost always, when they would bring me up to Mother Superior's office, grab me by my right ear and drag me like this. Mr. Boyd, you're going to Mother Superior. And so I'd always be dragged like that. And that, I instinctively did that. And that was 53 years ago. But I can still enter into that. And I instinctively, like, turn my head like that. I, I, our past is part of our presidency. And here's the thing. Things can happen that freeze us in that moment. Uh, things said to us, things done to us, that, that we interpret from the perspective that we're at, whether it's eight years old or ten years old or five years old or whatever. And, and that goes on, that will continue on until we as an older person, as an adult, come back and, and reintegrate that into our life, retell the story. Uh, someone's got to tell little Rusty that it wasn't his fault uh, and that things are going to turn out all right. Um, and see, so it's like this. You as an adult, you know that Christ is enough. You, you know that, right? But, but it can be that you've got a part of you that's 10 years old or 14 years old or 4 years old or whatever that doesn't know that because you are buying into, for whatever reasons, you've bought into the, the lie that you need to be pretty if you're going to be important. You need to be smart. If you're going to be somebody, you need to be successful. You need to achieve. You need to accomplish. You need to whatever. And you get that message, and under the right circumstances, you kick into that, and that's what feels true, and so that's what you do, despite that you know that you don't need to be doing that. And see, that will continue on until you, you go back and, and ask the question, when did you learn that you needed to perform? When did you learn? Who told you that you need to be pretty to be important? Who told you that you need to achieve or accomplish? Who told you that Christ isn't enough? Who told you that life's all about impressing other people or what have you? And then... Go back there and invite Christ into that. And he doesn't change the past, but he changes the meaning of the past. Anakephaleo. He'll, he'll, he'll retell the story and, and bring it under his love and bring it under his healing. Show you what he would do in that situation. And, and he's just a, a genius at doing this. A genius at doing this. Inviting Christ into the past to sum up, to retell. And you become a more integrated person. As it is, we can walk around fragmented. As adults, we know what's true, but there's parts of us that don't agree with this. And in the right circumstances, those get activated. We maybe don't even know that we're doing this, but we feel this. And so our action and our beliefs don't line up. We're fragmented. But folks, God wants to bring wholeness and healing and integration into our life. All of it, it's just about what Paul says when he says, take every, every thought captive to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5. 
Every memory, take a captive to Christ. And it all involves our imagination because we think with our imagination. It's about inviting Christ into our imaginative world to reintegrate the past into the present under his lordship. So it can look like this. There's a guy, I'll call him Tom. He read my book, Seeing is Believing, which is about this. And uh, uh, it impacted him in a strong way. So he, he tells me kind of what happened to him. Um, so Tom is a guy who just doesn't know how to have fun. He's a very serious person, he tells me. Was, was a person who um, always tend to, tended to take on more responsibility than he should. And he felt guilty for everything. He's a person who lives uh, under, with a lot of anxiety and sometimes has these serious panic attacks for no reason. Uh, to the point where he has to curl up in a fetal position. Now, what happened is he, in prayer, as I recommend doing in this book, and I'm recommending now, is you ask the question, when did you learn to be afraid? When did you learn to be you know, scared and feel guilty? And, and submit that to the Lord, and the Lord reveals to him kind of what, what happened. And then the Lord's going to come in there and begin to reverse the meaning of this, give a new perspective, a reframe, an anacaphale on this. So Tom sees himself as a 10-year-old sitting on the curb of this road, and he's crying, and he's calling out to his father who's walking away. But the father is not looking back. He just keeps on walking. And the, the little boy cries and cries and cries, but the boy, that father won't look back until the fa- finally the father disappears. And as Tom, the older Tom, is looking at this boy, he see, he's, he's, he's behind him, he's seeing his back, but he feels what he felt and what, he, what the boy's going through. Uh, he, he feels the abandonment and the loneliness. Uh, the guilt, he thinks it's his fault. He's blaming himself for this, as kids often do. But most of all, he feels the fear because... He, fe- he believes that now that dad's gone, he has to be the big boy. He has, to be, he has to grow up. He has to be the man of the household. It's his job to take care of mom and his little brother. But he's 10 years old, and he doesn't know how to do that, and so he's terrified. And, and as, as the older Tom is experiencing this, he cries for the little boy, which itself is kind of a healing thing. And then he sees Jesus come in and, 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 and in the, into the scene, and Jesus sits down next to little Tommy and puts his armor on little Tommy. And, and Jesus is kind of weeping for him, too, and, and says, I'm so, I'm so sorry that you had to go through this. Um, this is not the way I wanted the world to go. I'm sorry this happened to you. And little Tommy says to him, Dad left, and I don't think he's ever coming back. And I don't know what I did. I don't know why he's so mad, but I don't think he's ever coming back. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. It, it, Tommy, this is not your fault. This is not your fault. This has nothing to do with you. Uh, any dad who is healthy would be so proud of you because you're such a good kid. Um, and then, and then, then the little Tommy says, uh, but I'm scared because what if mom goes crazy? What if, what, if, what, if, what if they split me and my brother apart and, and uh, we have to go into different foster care? Um, what had happened, the, the actual event was his father had left when he was 10 years old and his mother was very fragile. And he did have a nervous breakdown of some sort. was in the hospital for a couple of weeks, and they had to stay at some nasty relative's house. Um, and, and during that time, uh, little Tommy was afraid that his mom was never going to get out and that um, uh, they were going to be given to foster care or something. And so, so he, he, his mother was fragile, and so he always assumed she never ended up going back in an institution, but she did have times where she couldn't get out of bed. And so he took it as his responsibility to make sure that, that she doesn't go crazy, to sort of try to keep her, you know, 
apart from any kind of trouble. And, and, uh, and he, he assumed that he, he was the, the man of the house. And so it's no wonder he grows up not knowing how to have fun, he grows up feeling guilty about everything, grows up, you know, feeling, feeling fearful, because this part of him is frozen in this 10-year-old who doesn't have a clue how to do this, but he feels responsible for it. So in the scene, Jesus tells him it's not his fault. And, and then Jesus says, you know what, you thought you were alone, but I am always with you. Uh, he, little time goes, why did dad have to leave? And, and Jesus says, it's not about you. Uh, dads sometimes make bad choices and uh, they get messed up. And I'm, I'm afraid your dad's kind of messed up right now. He thinks he's going to find happiness by going to this other place, but he's going to learn that happiness can't be found there. But then Jesus says to him, but you know what makes me happy? What makes me really, really happy is being your friend. It's just being with you. So can we be friends? And I promise you, I will never walk away from you. And, and, and so Tommy is, is, is you know, happy to hear that. But then he, he gets another concerned look on his face, Tom tells me, because he says, well, what if mom goes crazy? And what if they split us apart? What if? And Jesus says, Tommy, it's going to be all right. And, and I'll always be with you in this. And then Jesus looks to, his, to the older Tommy. And this signifies, I want you to come here and talk to this kid. And so Tom comes around and, and, and kneels down before little Tommy. And he says, Jesus is right. This was not your fault. It had nothing to do with you. And Jesus was right. We're going to get through this. Now, mom's, mom will have some tough times, but she gets through this. We get through this. It's okay. But then he says to little Tommy, he goes, but Tommy, most of all, I want you to be a kid. You don't have to take responsibility for mom. Um, will you let Jesus be the man of the house? And will, will you let Jesus take care of mom? And will you just be a kid. You're, you're 10 years old. You're supposed to have fun. You're supposed to have friends. You're supposed to go exploring. You're supposed to be learning. You know, you're supposed to have some carefreeness to you. This is not your responsibility. And so will you just play? And then Jesus comes in and says, what about it, Tommy? Um, can you surrender mom to me and let me be the man of the house? Uh, and, and he says, and would you like to play? And so then Jesus produces two gloves and a ball. And Tommy just lightens up and, and it gets excited. And they go across the street and they start playing catch. And what's behind that is that, that Tom told me that growing up, he, he was always envious whenever he saw a father and son playing catch because he hardly ever saw his father and they never played catch. Um, and so here there's, there's Jesus playing catch with them. And you see, that's just a little example of what can happen when you invite Jesus into a scene in the past. When did you learn to be like this? Take any part of your life that is, is, is out of sync uh, with, with, with the truth of who you are in Christ. And invite Jesus in on that. And, and the Holy Spirit is, is so creative. Just, it's like watching a movie. Just invite him in. See what happens here. And it can be so beautiful. It can be so beautiful. And see, this is how he tells a story. He goes through the memory. He retells the story. But he does it from a new perspective. And in a way that weaves together everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ, heals everything under the, the, the lordship of Christ. All that Christ accomplished on the cross is now being applied to the past of your life. Praise God. So I encourage folks, uh, carve out a time. Hardly anyone does this, and it's why we live our whole lives fragmented. Under the right conditions, boom, the, it's not the adult us that's operating. It's, it's this part of our past that we've never really addressed. Be intentional about this. Carve out a time. I encourage folks to just get alone and darken the room. It always helps me to have a little bit of soft music in the background, just kind of softens you up, but without lyrics. And then ask the question, when did you learn that you needed to be this, or that you were to this, or that this is what's wrong with you, or whatever? And, and, and just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal this to you, and go to a memory. 
And then invite Jesus in on that memory and watch what happens. Just, it, it's, it's sometimes kind of sad to go back there, but it also is so refreshing and, and healing as you see what Jesus does. It tells the story, but in a new way, in a new frame, and alters its meaning and brings good out of evil, and it's beautiful. Amen? Would you stand? Um, I want to invite you, if you're here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, uh, we have the stairs up here, the well, proteins by the stairs, and uh, these folks would love to pray with you, uh, so share that with them. If you're here this morning and you're not a disciple, you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not surrendered to him, but there's something that says that maybe you should check that out, I encourage you to act on that. Come up here and talk to these folks, and they'd love to tell you uh, how to get started in this uh, Christian walk. Folks, as we leave here, can we, be, uh, can we do it as a people who are committed? To, making, to allowing Jesus Christ to be Lord of every aspect of our life, past, present, and future, and to let bring everything, let him, in his creative love, bring the broken parts, the wounded parts, the sad parts, the tragic parts, bring it under his lordship, and watch the amazing things he do. If you're willing to be committed to pursuing that, say amen, and go out and love your neighbors. Amen. God bless you guys.